Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And thank you for joining us for today's episode. First, we want to apologize for being... Uh, negligent in our posting in the last few weeks. We, um, we've been quite busy with Holy Week, and I took a week of vacation. It's been pretty busy as, as I'm starting to get ready for my sabbatical, and uh, lots of church things happening, of course, as well to focus on. And so the, the podcast at times does get put <laughs> on the back burner, um, which I would hope people could understand, especially given that Holy Week is a really special week for every congregation. And Zach and I need to focus on local things on in that week. And so, anyways, all yeah. that is to say thanks for joining us again. And uh, thanks yeah. to those who continue to reach out and connect with us via email. Uh, Jared in Illinois and James in Sacramento, thank you for the very nice emails that you sent us. Um, yeah, as, I, as I've gotten these emails, and, and we've gotten other ones too from people, um, we're learning really that, there's a lot of, of people who are not all that connected to the Christian Reformed Church and who have just found us by searching for some Reformed um, content in the podcast world. And so we're really glad that we can fill that niche and we can help people um, understand Reformed theology a little bit more, um, hopefully grow in their, their love for Christ and their knowledge of the Word of God and a little bit of church history as well thrown in there. And so that's kind of the goal of the podcast. Maybe people are tuning in for the first time. We've also heard from some people that they're suggesting the podcast to their friends. And so if you are one of those friends who is listening because someone has encouraged you to, uh, well, welcome. Uh, Zach and I are pastors in Central California. Ripon, California is a town about an hour and 20 minutes east of San Francisco. And uh, it's, it's a the, the church is called Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church, and it's called that for good reason. There are almond <laughs> orchards surrounding this town on all four sides. Lots of them. And many of our members of our church are almond farmers or um, connected in some way to the almond in- industry, um, accountants who help farmers with their businesses and financial planners who help farmers with their savings. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, uh, that's a huge part of, of life here in Ripon. It's a church of about 250 members. And so a mid-sized church and, uh, both Zach and I have really, really loved serving this congregation. Um, yeah. I've been here seven years now and Zach is getting close to six, right? Mm-hmm. Coming up on six. Yeah. And so, um, we started this podcast to uh, really help t- teach the the church during the course of the week, we we realize that we're called to be teachers of God's word, and with COVID uh, shutting lots of ministry down, we realized we need to connect with the congregation in uh, in in a in a deeper way, uh, more consistently, especially during the course of the week during the mm-hmm. pandemic shutdown. And so we began this podcast, and it has really been a joy. Um, we're, we're now over 100 episodes in, 
And I, I think that we've improved a little bit. Our, our earlier podcasts were very <laughs> long. Um, I want to say there would normally be about a hundred or a, an hour and 15 to an hour and 20 minutes. And we're trying to get that down to about 45 to 50 minutes per episode. Um, yeah. And uh, that's kind of the gist of, of the podcast in general. And part of the reason that I give that longer introduction today is we're recording an episode on the Christian Reformed Church. And I know that when we when we do these types of episodes, we we get listeners who aren't regular listeners, but who might just be looking for some content on or commentary on what's happening in the Christian Reformed Church of North America. Um, and so, just as I said, we also have listeners who are not connected to the CRC, um, mm-hmm. the Christian Reformed Church. And so, you might be a little bit curious about this denomination. Um, just a Cliff's Notes breakdown of who the Christian Reformed Church is. Um, it is. It was really founded by Dutch immigrants to Michigan and um, a little bit later, although right about the same time, to Iowa. And, um, and there was a flood of immigration from the Netherlands in the 1850s and 60s, and uh, different um, sort of stints of immigration have occurred since then, um, a very large flow of immigrants coming after World War II, particularly to mm-hmm. Canada. Um, and, and so really between the 1850s and World War II, there was a large amount of immigration everywhere in the United States from um, all kinds of nations. And, and that did include Dutch immigrants, who um, many of whom went to the Grand Rapids area and started um, a seminary called Calvin Theological Seminary and a college called Calvin College, which is now Calvin University. And um, the denomination grew and grew um, Mm -hmm. until about the year 1992 to 1994, um, where that growth was reversed and and basically we've shrunk um, since then. Um, Almost every single year since then we have lost members. Which is true of basically every denomination. I don't think it's specific, just the CRC. The the mid-90s really saw, well, there was a a large split. Um, A denomination called the United Reformed Churches of North America split off from the Christian Reformed Church with... I think about 30,000 members is, is mm. what I would guess. Um, maybe that's what the URC is now. But uh, that was that was a, a very difficult time in the, mm. the history of the CRC. And so since then, the Christian Reformed Church has been asking a lot of questions about identity. Who should we be as a denomination? And of course, whenever you ask those kinds of questions, there are going to be different opinions about um, the way forward, who we should be. Um, just in my own description, you can tell that our, our identity formerly was very wrapped up in Dutch ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing that that is not a good denomina- uh, denominational identity, um, an ethnic identity, that's not really what you want to have um, <laughs> in the kingdom of God, we need to supplant that, um, change that, and, and become something different and mm-hmm. be known for something different. And uh, putting all our cards out on the table, uh, Zach and I are very convinced the identity of the Christian Reformed Church needs to be a theological identity um, that, that we have. I would have. argue that it has been. It was before it was Dutch. It was a theological yeah, identity. Yeah, that's very the true. The Heidelberg Catechism, which comes from Germany. Right. The Belgic Confession, which comes from Belgium. Yeah. Uh, and so these things are not necessarily only Dutch. Right. And um, yeah, the Heidelberg Catechism 
wasn't even written in Dutch. It was written, of course, in German in Heidelberg. And mm-hmm. so um, we we really long for the Christian Reformed Church to be confessional, um, Catholic in nature, not Roman Catholic, but um, Catholic and uh, bound to the the Catholic Church, the true Church throughout all times and places, mm-hmm. um, and and to be quite honestly, also evangelical in nature, and and by that we don't mean evangelical in the political sense, but evangelical in the sense of having a a very high view of Scripture, which is very Reformed, Mm -hmm. being evangelical in the ministry approach that says we need to be spreading the gospel, we need Mm -hmm. to be making disciples of all nations, drawing people into the church, um, encouraging people to repent and believe the good news, to be born again in Christ— um, like what one uh, reform minister I recently heard said to preach the new birth, um, and hmm. so that was a reference to George Whitfield and his style of preaching that he preached the new birth, which actually was quite novel in England in hmm. his day. Um, and so that we desire for the Christian Reformed Church to preach the new birth, the yeah. regeneration through the Spirit, and um, and and to be confessional, like like I already mentioned, to hold to uh, the teachings of the Heidelberg Catechism the Canons of Dort, and the Belgic Confession. And so um, these are great treasures that we hold on to in the Christian Reformed Church, Um, but uh, there's a lot of consternation considering the identity of the CRC and who we should be. And so today's episode is um, sort of a, a narrow piece of the pie in that big identity conversation. Yeah, um, We want to talk about who is controlling the conversation in the CRC. That sounds very conspiratorial. Uh, that's not really what we mean by the, the title of, of the podcast, but um, just what is the, the focus or how is the conversation controlled in the CRC and, and just in terms of the topics that we address and think about, um, the types of things that get onto the synodical agenda um, what people would expect to find in the banner or on the network, what people would expect to hear from denominational leadership at hmm. the college or the seminary or in the denominational offices. What sorts of things are people really focusing on? And today we want to we challenge a little bit of the conversation that we hear um, because um, I get the sense that often it is, is less historically reformed and more driven by what I would consider to be the intellectual elites of the Grand Rapids institutional um, um, apparatus. Yeah, this is an interesting, as you pointed out, an interesting ongoing conversation that the CRC has been having amongst itself for quite some time. As you mentioned, I've only been in this church for six years, almost six years, and this is my first post, my first post in the CRC, uh, and so it's uh, it's a new conversation to me, but uh, over those uh, nearly six years, I've sort of figured out and learned and caught up with a little bit of the conversation as mm-hmm. it's been unfolding, and it does seem to me that this identity crisis is really uh, a looming thing that has, uh, has a long history, uh, dating back at least to probably the mid-20th century. Uh, who we are, who and and what we're going to be. Uh, it seems to me that over the course of the 20th century, for one way or in one way or another, the CRC has uh, 
moved away from that sort of confessional theological heritage, uh, its strong commitment to Reformed theology. Now, this isn't to say that all churches have done this. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of CRC churches have held on to very tightly this confessional identity. Uh, and that is good as far as I can see, but uh, this has also been something that has, there's been all sorts of trends. I think being in the Protestant and evangelical part of the church, especially in the 20th century in the United States, uh, the church was under a lot of interesting uh, pressures um, and trying to speak to a unique moment in history and so there were all sorts of different theories about how the church should live and move and have its being, so mm-hmm. to speak. And so a lot of those uh, ideas were accommodation ideas. We should accommodate culture uh, and we should uh, speak its language, even uh, sort of affirm culture, affirm uh, the goodness of, of people. And, hmm. and so there was a loss of uh, a sort of... Uh, proclamation of the gospel in some ways. Um, Sometimes the church went in ways of just wanting to be culturally relevant and cool and hip, and so that they could sort of sugarcoat in some sense uh, the gospel to people and sort of wrap it up in a nice package that people appreciate. So we see sort of the megachurch movement Mm. coming out of this. Mm -hmm. Uh, And And that was a a stream in the CRC that was very attracted to that megachurch cause. Church growth movement. Bill Hybels, um, as far as I know, came out of the CRC, yeah, right? He eventually yeah. left and started Willow Creek, but Willow Creek and the churches that sort of sprung up um, in, in the wake of it uh, sort of have some kind of connection, I would say, at least maybe a loose Definitely connection. Definitely a lot of influence in the CRC. To the CRC. And yeah. so the CRC has gone in all sorts of different directions, and mm-hmm. this has started even from the sort of uh, the center of the CRC empire, so to speak. I call <laughs> it personally Vatican City, Grand Rapids. G-R-Rusalem. <laughs> yeah, G-R-Rusalem, Rapid. yeah, that's good. <laughs> this is, that is sort of a hub, and I think it can sound very dismissive mm. uh, when we talk about, oh, what they're, whatever they're doing over there in Grand Rapids or in GR, but having been in the denomination now and having been to Synod and sort of seeing things uh, from within, I feel like I do have enough of an experience to say, yeah, the the Grand Rapids world does seem like a a world unto itself within the CRC. (laughs) Yeah, it's fair. And I don't think everybody in Grand Rapids is bad or that everything is just totally tainted. Uh, or irredeemable, and I think we'll get into that in this episode as well. But mm-hmm. I say all of this just to point out that th- this identity question is really, really a big deal. And over time, it seems to me that those who have learned to uh, be nice, to be careful, very tactful in their wording, uh, have been successful in arriving at positions of of power and so we're, if we're talking about controlling the conversation which yeah maybe that does sound a little bit conspiratorial uh it's going to happen somehow or another it doesn't have to be a conversations yeah. are always yeah. uh, sort of being controlled yeah and i i think of a book i read this is maybe a little far afield but it's a book i think it's called um the anglican church and the gay crisis 
uh, by Oliver O'Donovan. I could be wrong on the exact title, uh, but he talks about how one of the issues of the history of the Anglican Church, at least, and I had to read this in seminary for a hermeneutics class. Uh, it was a really interesting little book, but he makes the point that in, in his church, the Church of England, uh, over the course of time, dating back, he goes pretty far back in Church of England's history, back to the 17th century, if I remember correctly. Back to Henry VIII, almost. So. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, that over time, the the bishops who were installed as bishops were those who kind of could say nice things that would not step on anybody's toes and that the the uh, magistrates liked and respected mm. and approved of, and they knew that they would they would not really oppose what the magistrate was doing, and so they were kind of yes men, not the zealots. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I I, yeah. I remember thinking, you know, that's probably what happens in just about every denomination. Mm. Uh, those who can uh, play nice will will succeed in, in many ways. Uh, and will arrive in, in important positions in one way or the other. This isn't to say that being nice is wrong. Of course, yeah. we are we are supposed to be nice and respectful and all of those things. I was just teaching the, our youth group students last night about James chapter 3, which is the, the use of our tongue, but he also ends that section with about with a, a proclamation or a an exhortation towards wisdom and living wisely is, is living... Uh, with purity and with peaceability mm-hmm. and uh, with being patient with people and being open and open to reason, he says. Uh, and so, yeah, we should, we should of course be all of those things. Uh, but it does seem to me that in the CRC, the story of, of the, the conversation uh, there, there definitely is a sort of Overton window, a sort of a, mm-hmm a window of what's acceptable to talk about. And that has been shaped uh, and given, given a sort of a direction uh, over the course of time. And there's, there's an interesting history behind that. Yeah. This, that term is one that I really want to expand on there. Um, Overton window. Um, And so those are all great insights, Zach. And um, the, an Overton window is, uh, I could just read the definition from Oxford, uh, dictionary uh, and the Overton window is, is actually more of a political term, but it refers to a spectrum of ideas on public policy and social issues that's considered acceptable by the general public at a given time. And so, um, I th- I think that intuitively everyone is aware of the Overton window, and what we're trying to do in this episode is define it, not politically in this case, but for the Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. Here's what I mean by that. There are topics that get a lot of attention and even topics that we're supposed to talk about in a certain way um, culturally. Hmm. So there are, are cultural social values that would determine, um, it's a little bit like manners actually, um, the kinds of things that we should be talking about yeah. um, in, in church or um, even at a denominational level, the kinds of things that get um, a lot of effort, a lot of money put behind them. And then there are other kinds of things that just really aren't in the discourse mm-hmm. and um, maybe even some things that we shouldn't talk about. Yeah. And so uh, the Overton window, uh, to, to use an example, a political example um, of, of how abortion is talked about in the mainstream media, um, you will hear abortion referred to as a women's health issue. And... Um, 
to use that term assumes a pro-choice argument, assumes the pro-choice mm-hmm. um, perspective that 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 people hold to in the mainstream media. And so uh, the Overton window in terms of how abortion is discussed in in the news um, generally would not use terms like life begins at conception, which is what Christians believe mm-hmm. um, and what, what science actually mm-hmm. determines. And even atheistic scientists, um, according to a Guttmacher Institute study, overwhelmingly agree that life begins at conception. But but the Overton window has sort of shifted away from that rhetoric, life begins yeah. at conception, and onto this is a women's health issue um, or it's women's rights issue. Yeah, And so... Um, whenever you turn the TV on and abortion is being discussed, you can almost expect the conversation to go that general direction. And there would be some recognition. Not everyone agrees with this, Mm -hmm. but the assumption is there that most people do. Mm -hmm. And so um, thinking about how that Overton window, the conversation um, question applies to the denomination, I think that we can see similar kinds of things happening with how for example, the Human Sexuality Report was discussed and how it's been responded to, even in official capacities in the denomination, um, where you'll hear, um, overwhelmingly, you'll hear the rhetoric about the HSR in official documents that this is a synodical decision. Mm-hmm. And this that is... language is really interesting. Right. And, and it was re- formerly regarded as pastoral advice, mm-hmm. but now it's been, quote, elevated to confessional status that was just um just communicated in a calvin chimes article that that was just released a couple days ago um and so that's actually not true (laughs) a lot of that uh, uh, and and yet that's sort of the way that the discourse is working um uh and so what what we want to do in this episode actually is challenge how the conversation often goes and um maybe um give a little thought on how we we actually wish it would go especially in terms of this conversation around the human sexuality report um Hmm. i i get discouraged just to to be honest when it's particularly when it's referred to as pastoral advice um because it was pastoral advice before that's what we keep hearing from denominational authorities and from congregations and pastors well, first of all, that's a pretty low view of pastoral advice. Right. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Whenever I've heard it, and it was referred to this a lot last year leading up to Synod, that it's only been seen as pastoral advice. And by the way, for, for those not listening or for those who aren't in the CRC, the HSR, Human Sexuality Report, was just approved a last year as the denominational position on many issues concerning sexuality, including homosexuality, which... Um, we uphold the biblical teaching that marriage should be between one man and one woman, um, and and so that would uh, it deems homosexual activity to be sinful, mm-hmm. and so that was upheld last at last synod where Zach was a delegate, yeah. and and what we're referring to now is um, many people saying, well. That was the position of the CRC, but we thought it was sort of a take it or leave it kind of thing, mm-hmm. and that so the term pastoral advice is often binding. used to say, well, yeah, that yeah. was advisory. That wasn't the official position. Um, that's disingenuous and dishonest, I believe, mm-hmm. because um, it's it's always been the uh, 
the position of the CRC. Yeah. Um, even before 1973, I would say. Yeah. Um, 1973 is where it was codified more in the the synodical report that said this is the position of the, the denomination. Mm-hmm. But even before that, it would have been assumed that homosexual activity is, is yeah. wrong, and it would have been preached from pulpits. It, it makes me really wonder, well, okay, if the decision of Synod 2022 to accept and affirm the HSR was merely a synodical decision, quote-unquote, Yeah, was the pastoral advice wording of Synod 1973 merely a synodical decision that we should uh, sort of disagree. It, it seems like it gets really slippery to me yeah. that, that nothing that the Synod does is going to be uh, clarifying or helpful in, in any way, and because there's always somebody who can disagree with it. Uh, it seems to me that I think we as Christians, uh, in particularly the modern West, have become very uh, overtly aware of minority and majority groups Mm. on any given thing, such to the extent that uh, we always want to be giving um, a voice, we want to care for the minority group. And this is good. if there's a racial minority in a given country, the majority group there, those of them who, them who are Christians, they should be keeping an eye out for the m- minority groups and seeing how they may be mistreated or uh, p- have prejudicial treatment given to them uh, and, and so on, or racism, overt racism. But I think in the CRC, those who are the minority group, uh, they they sort of play on this uh, sort of vulnerability of Christianity as Mm. if the majority group by nature of being the majority is overtly oppressive. And so I I get the sense that in a lot of the messaging, Mm. the the minority, which as Senate made clear last year is the progressives in this case. And it's a small minority. It's a small minority. Uh, There's a, there's a lot of rhetoric that I have, have seen and just sort of speaking and conversations between pastors or on different forums such as the pastor's page uh, or different things like the reform journal as if the the majority vote last year was sort of the oppressors and they're now trying to use their power to push out it -hmm. makes me wonder if there were if there was a minority group at the council of jerusalem in acts chapter 15 and uh, those who were deemed to be in the minority uh, did they did they say hey you must treat us well and you must give our voice uh, continued <laughs> hearing yeah. uh, no the majority was very clear that false teaching needs to be repudiated it needs to be dealt with very strongly and the truth needs to be proclaimed yeah. for all the churches to hear and it's interesting that as soon as that council ends the apostles go up to antioch uh and they tell them of the good news, and all the Gentiles there rejoice. Uh, they rejoice because mm-hmm. they are told with clarity, we do not need to be all Jews before we become Christians. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get circumcised before being a Christian. Uh, it doesn't seem to me that there's a whole lot of uh, niceness or uh, keeping false teaching in the conversation. It seems to me that the apostles and their teaching were quite clear, not only in that particular episode of the new Testament, but all throughout Paul's letters, Paul is not one to give quarter to Mm. false teaching, even if it's the minority. 
Uh, but I think we become so sympathetic to minority groups that we feel bad if we're the majority. And we're told that we should feel bad about doing something to affect false teaching that I just, I, yeah. I think at a certain point, false teaching just needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And if something is, is clearly uh, out of line with God's word, then we we should not be made to feel bad. Given that if we do everything that we can respectfully, clearly, with love, and with concern and compassion. Uh, but that compassion need not allow the minority group to continue on and continue uh, spreading false falsehood. Yeah, and the question of why comes in, right? Like, why would we take a strong stand against false teaching? Why would the Apostle Paul do that for the Galatian church and John would do that for Gnostic heresies and so forth. Um, why? Why would we get so worked up about it and, and be so declarative? It's because God's word is good mm-hmm. and God's law is good. And so to live well as a Christian where we're always refining each other and if I, if I speak what is false from my pulpit, I hope somebody would, would come to me and say, that was mm-hmm. wrong and you need to apologize, you need to, to backtrack, you need to, to fix what you've said um, mm-hmm. and, and be clear. Um, because we're, we're being refined more into the likeness of Christ and um, part of that will include corrections of falsehood. Yeah. So, um, so this isn't, when, when we even talk about correcting false teaching, I know that some people just regard that as kind of like a status quo power play where, oh, um, <laughs> The you you're just glad you won the vote and you want to lord it over. I've seen that actually um, the accusation from ministers that um, mm-hmm. those who who sort of won won out in Synod 2022 are lording it over those who um, disagree with uh, the position who are open and affirming. And so um, I hope that that's not happening. It, it it could be happening because I know we are sinful by nature and and would have a temptation to lord it over people. But I I hope from from my own heart, and, and I could see, Zach, from yours, it comes out from a place of love that we want people to know the truth and to be set free, to live according to the way that God's word prescribes. Mm-hmm. And and that's, that's really where I would hope this conversation around human sexuality goes. Instead of hearing from... Um, official denominational sources um, or or leaders, this is Synod's decision, and I agree with it. I would love to hear more conviction. This is what the Bible teaches, and yeah. and I'm going to go with it to the gallows, man. Yeah. Like, it's um, <laughs> that that's really not like, to talk about the Overton window and the conversation. That's really not what we hear mm-hmm. from people at college or seminary. Uh, uh, there are some at the seminary. I, I give people like Jeff Wyma a lot of credit in this regard. Hmm. Very strongly standing on the Word of God. And he quoting, was uh, influential in the yeah the production of quoting VHSR. scripture, pointing people back to uh, reform doctrines, um, doing an excellent job in that regard. I would love mm-hmm. for just a, a torrent of that type of material to be coming from Grand Rapids from denominational leadership. Um, unfortunately, what I often hear, um, and, and I'm basing this on a good amount of information and interactions, um, 
when people are asked what's your view on the human sexuality report, um, what will what I'll often hear is, well, I personally agree with it, hmm. but I also recognize a lot of people don't, and so I want to be really careful in how I talk about this. Like they might not say that quite explicitly, but I do not hear a lot of conviction, and so. Um, if somebody were to ask me, like, imagine I will, were up for a denominational leadership position, which I will never be based on a podcast like this, um, by the way. <laughs> um, and, and somebody were to ask me that question, what's your view on the human sexuality report? My, my answer would be resoundingly, it communicates scripture faithfully and is a, a good, wonderful tool. It's not perfect. Obviously, it's not perfect. It's not absolute. It doesn't cover absolutely everything that we could possibly cover, um, even though it is a long report. But I'm going to go with God's word, Mm -hmm. and God's word is quoted very regularly in it, as is great Reformed teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I'm standing with the authors of of that document, gladly, um, publicly standing with that. Um, and, and unfortunately that's, that's not really what we're reading in the banner or Mm -hmm. in other denominational materials. Um, in fact, I would say even the opposite is happening where many people who are openly opposed to what the HSR teaches are still being given a voice and, uh, still being, uh, elevated to, uh, to influential positions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that is an interesting feature of life in the CRC. And again, I would argue outside of the CRC as well. Uh, people who stand on what the CRC has always believed yeah, oddly have and ironically have a strange standing than within the rest of the denomination. Uh, and I, I think again, part of this goes back to that niceness and it's a difficulty, right? James, as I pointed out just a minute ago, says that we should be open to reason. And so though we should, we can have our convictions and we ought to have our convictions. And I think a part of this podcast is us saying the CRC lacks conviction in some ways as a denomination. Uh, We should make room for being open to reason. So how do we hold this tension of being firm on God's word mm-hmm. and open to reason. You could argue that that's, that's precisely why we have gotten into uh, this, this predicament in the CRC. Maybe we become too open to reason. We become so open to reason that we are almost excluding uh, our, own, our own convictions. That's and, especially if you have institutions to maintain. Yeah. like a college and a seminary. Yeah, it's like, well, becomes... we want to appeal to the mo- the most broadest base. Mm-hmm. All the people, you know, even in the CRC or outside the CRC in the co- in the colleges um, case, if when you have to maintain that, yeah. then the the moderate mm-hmm. or the, the nuanced view it, becomes yeah. There's it sort of there becomes a vacuum, right? And that vacuum is filled by mo- moderates and moderation and nuance. And if anybody knows me. I, I think I'm a pretty moderated guy, yeah. <laughs> um, but not because I think moderate being moderate for moderate's sake, uh, moderation's sake is a good thing, but because I, I, I think it's just a personality trait. I, I see things both ways. Um, hmm. yeah, maybe we can have a conversation about, uh, the, um, oh, what's it called? 
the personality. Oh the, yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> I forget what it's even called. Not the Myers Briggs. It's it's a uh, the Enneagram. Sorry. Yes, yes. <laughs> the Enneagram that shows you how much uh, I know about the Enneagram. We're I couldn't not really recall into too. It's, it's name, but. <laughs> Having thought about it some like a couple of years ago, I kind of realized I probably am an Enneagram nine if I had to sort of categorize myself. And one of the Enneagram nine things is that you you're kind of the peacemaker. You see things both ways, and I think a lot of that means that I become a pretty uh, I'm prone to indecision. Hmm. So if I'm at the shopping at the grocery store or the shopping mall and I'm looking at two different things and I like both of them. It's really hard for me to just make a decision because I can see how <laughs> certain things would be would be good in different ways. And yeah. I, my wife is always just like, just make a decision. Just choose something. Like, <laughs> let's just go with it and get out of here. Uh, and so just I, I see things both ways. I can see where people are coming from. Uh, but at the same time, you have to make make a position known. And I think the CRC is in the middle of this yeah. predicament. Uh, where are we going to fall? And I, I think it maybe it's oversimplifying it a bit, but I think I think you're you're exactly right, Mark. We got to stand on Scripture. We have to stand on Scripture, um, and we have to say we're standing on Scripture, and not just that was Synod's decision, right? And that, not just uh, yeah. I'm not just towing the line of what Synod said. We have to yeah. stand on Scripture. We cannot have any more of this fear of man. I think uh, in the CRC because of our Kyperian heritage, and I would say it's sort of a uh, dilution of our Kyperian heritage, there's a sense in which we really desperately want culture to like us. Mm-hmm. We want culture to affirm us. It's not that we want to be cool. The CRC has never wanted to be cool, except in certain offshoots, like maybe the uh, megachurch movement, which never really had much mm, connection. Just a few churches, uh, yeah. As we said, Hybels left the CRC in order to start it, <laughs> yep. and there's a reason for that. Uh but the CRC has always wanted to be, to be very intellectually uh, respected. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing as far as it goes. We want to have intellectual prowess because we want to understand God's word and be wise and listen to his word well so that we can grow in knowledge of his word and we can grow in knowledge of this world and so on. Mm-hmm. All of those things are good. But I think we've wanted to be so intellectually respected we wanted to be socially respected even politically respected and the major thought with a lot of progressivism in the crc is that if we can become very respectable citizens in the world's eyes then people will come to christianity in by the thousands you know Mm. the church will grow if we just placate people uh or even but if they don't not, say it will grow, this does not work. that's the kind of church that they say glorifies God, you know, is is one that is living for the welfare of the city. That's one of the favorite texts of, uh, of yeah. I would say, the, the, the cultural uh, power players, you might say. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it? Jeremiah, right? Um, li- living for the good of the city. Mm-hmm. And so... E- no, I, I totally agree that, that respectability and... and um, Reputation, mm-hmm. reputation is so important to 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 many, and I I would guess it, it's a it's important to me. I want to be known as somebody mm-hmm. who is loving and somebody who is attentive and humble and so forth. Um, but at the same time, uh, we we have to mm-hmm. be willing to sacrifice the reputation 
for the name of Christ and for the word of God. Yeah. Um, and what is so, our first love? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That is what it comes down to. And, um, and unfortunately, uh, this, see, this, this podcast is really about how the rhetoric in the Christian Reformed Church, the official rhetoric, is, is so sensitive um, and and I would guess you know I I sympathize to some extent with those who are in denominational leadership who particularly work at the university Calvin University and and the seminary because they've got a lot of it's not pressure it, it's so much pressure they've got you know hundreds of professors between the seminary and college who who have families and yeah, kids and, and lives that they're trying to, to and, lead and a lot of different ideas about this and so they have to be careful. And they don't want to drop the hammer, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not their job to drop the hammer, right? Well, I would say it, it's the synod's job it, to drop. It the could hammer. be at a certain point um, the the role of say university leadership to call people to account. Sure. Um, okay. And, yeah. and so, what we're not suggesting, I know that there was a lot of consternation that the university allowed professors to to continue teaching at calvin even if they disagree with the hsr um and so some people were really frustrated because they wanted that provost to come down hard they wanted the guillotine to drop on all those false teachers and and that's not really what we're saying here either Mm -hmm. um because like like you said zach we do recognize that people have families and so forth and however there must be a point that we're leading towards yeah. where there is accountability and where where we are standing on the word of God. Yeah, th- integrity. We, we talk a lot, if you're a first-time listener, about the double ditch on this podcast. The ditch on one side mm-hmm. is heavy-handedness. No one can think uh, or even ask a question about mm-hmm. how we might be applying the HSR because it might seem like they actually disagree with it if, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if some of the complicated scenarios of living and life alongside homosexual people with gay people in our in our churches um mm-hmm. what does what does that always look like it, it can be kind of complicated to figure out what what friendship for example mm-hmm. looks like for homosexual people mm-hmm. um and so we don't want to drop the hammer so hard that somebody is not even able to talk about it almost well at the same time the the other ditch is we're going to be so nuanced that there's never any accountability. Right. Um, and, and being very precise about that, I think we can think about something like the university, where I was really encouraged to hear from Noah Tolley, who's uh, the provost, I believe, at, at the, the university mm-hmm. in his Abide conversation, said when they start interviewing a, pro- a possible a prospective professor, they talk about the human sexuality report and they want to make sure somebody is on board as the process begins with what the CRC believes. Hmm. I'd say huge thumbs up there. That means they're actually trying to uphold the word of God and yeah. how we um, understand that, particularly in the CRC, as defined in the HSR. And so I, I like that approach of moving towards um, more accountability. But, but I also see there would be a temptation in, in a place like the denominational headquarters, for example, um, in, in, uh, or, or at the university or seminary for kind of just grandfathering people in. Um, mm-hmm. And people, we're a church. We need to teach what's true. Um, we need to teach what's in, in line with the word of God. 
and and that's going to upset some people when we draw a line at a certain point and i hope that we're moving towards that without being too heavy-handed yeah it it seems to me and maybe this is an oversimplification once again on my part but i i can't help see but see it this way and i really came to this conclusion sadly while i was at synod last year in the sort of eye of the storm so to speak uh that's maybe to over dramatize it it wasn't that bad <laughs> uh, it was intense yeah but uh it, it seems to me that there there really are two i would say even warring religions within the crc um there's two different understandings of of creation yeah. and human nature human nature yeah. uh, understandings of what's really wrong with the world uh, the, the sort of conservative or traditional side would say uh, sin original sin corrupting sin that has corrupted all human beings yeah. by my nature I hate God and my neighbor right yep and so and that has then affected all of creation and has and all of creation is under the, the curse of the fall and needing to be reconciled and redeemed by the one who has come to save us by dying for us and being raised in our place for our justification and who has is now reconciling all things and himself as Colossians 1 talks about. Uh, and so this, this view has a stark understanding of sin and my own corruption and my need for redemption, my need for one to come to rescue me for deliverance. And the other view is, is quite a bit different, different views of human origins, where we came from, how and why things went wrong and what that means. It tends to see things not so much in the view of sin and sinfulness uh, historically conceived, but it sees things more in the sense of power and abuse uh, and systems, power imbalances and systems. Yeah. And while there is definitely a conception of sin being an inner problem, it is generally seen as being a system systemic problem uh, that needs to be overcome through activism. And so being born again in this scenario and this scheme is sort of a coming alive to these realities and seeing them for what they are according to the scheme and then living a life of, of activism pushing up against uh, the, the the badness of the world out there mm-hmm. and the church is supposed to be the kingdom of God it's, or it's building the kingdom of God by pushing back against these forces uh, but these forces are it's it's just it's very it's very different it's kind of an impersonal it's and the inner self is something that is to be often celebrated in these schemes and so yeah i'm I'm not painting a very specific picture here (laughs) i I get that it's it seems very uh just sort of ambiguous but i really couldn't help but think that there were two different systems of of christianity that are Mm extremely incompatible and until and i say all this because i think until we take a stand one way or the other uh, as a denomination as a church we're going to continue to find ourselves in these difficult places it's a it's been a long season of indecision on the crc's part i think synod 2022 was at least a step in a direction 
Uh, I would say it was a step in the right direction. And there's going to be fallout from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll, we'll need to continue standing strong. Where do, where do our allegiances truly lie? Do they lie with God's word? Do we trust his word? Do we trust it absolutely? Uh, or do we trust what the world says absolutely and that will affect how we understand God's word. Yeah. Uh, I think this goes back to an episode we had a couple of weeks ago. Why do we do theology? Do we do theology with a God-centered telos or aim, or do we do theology uh, simply to make people feel good and feel blessed in their life? Uh, I would say if you try to do the former, you will get the latter. If you try to do the latter, you will get neither. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and a, a, a critic of of our approach here would say, wow, it makes it sound like the people who are in favor of the HSR who are more traditional are very individualistic and the people on the other side are thinking more corporately and systemically and so forth. And uh, we don't want to fall into that trap. And so we we certainly believe Mm. that the gospel not only has a personal impact, but a societal impact as well. And, And so... Um, I know that that caricature is very alive and, and yeah, present. Yeah, and Jesus salvation scheme. Exactly. And that's not what we're suggesting the Christian Reformed Church should move towards or become. However, mm-hmm. personal regeneration and the means of grace distributed during worship mm-hmm. are central to life, to, yeah. to, to the Christian life. And um, I, I think the means of grace actually is a pretty big dividing line here where um, there, there's there's many in the Christian Reformed Church who would say, uh, you know, they, they would quote uh, a, the apocryphal quote of St. Francis, right? Uh, Preach the gospel at all times and when mm-hmm. necessary use words. They love that kind of thing because it's, it's an activist quote. And that yeah. almost becomes the mantra of the church where mm-hmm. um, world renew and, and so forth and doing good things becomes... Uh, engaging in social justice and race mm-hmm. relations and and doing these things almost becomes the uh, the identity of of what the church should be, mm-hmm. while neglecting the eternal destiny of of the soul, um, mm-hmm. the care of souls, the means of grace, especially yeah. um, not only in conversion but in in the feeding of of the flock as well. And so, um, I, I think that the conversation is often controlled. Um, unfortunately, in, in more of a direction of, of somewhere in between those two extremes. And, and what I would always hope is we can get back to what the confessions say. Um, maybe the last example that I would give of, of this um, going wrong at times is how the Abide Project is referred to hmm. as uh, in, in the popular discourse of, of the Christian Reformed Church right now, where by the way, the Abide Project are though is is a group of pastors and churches that wanted to see the HSR pass, wanted to uphold the biblical view of marriage, the traditional view of marriage, and that's what we've always believed mm-hmm. as a denomination. And um, the Abide Project is full of of pastors who will will very often quote the the Catechism mm-hmm. and and quote the Puritans and, and quote, yep. um, reform doctrine, Herman Bovink, um, being yeah. a, a real, uh, sort of, uh, hero. They, they love the reformed theology that we as a church, right. Have always, we've always believed. held to and, and so forth. And, and it, it's basically 
to put it bluntly, people who really, really believe the things we say we believe mm-hmm. in the Heidelberg Catechism. Like I already mentioned, by nature, I hate God and my neighbor. We really believe that mm-hmm. in this church. And, um, and we believe how redemption happens through Christ and how we're called to live lives of gratitude and so forth. We believe, Zach and I believe, yeah. what the Catechism teaches, what the yeah. Belgic Confession teaches, what the Canons of Dort teach. We believe it wholeheartedly. Um, I, I heard one pastor say not, not all that long ago, um, this is a pastor who, who teaches catechism, well, every, everyone's allowed a few doctrines that they don't really believe you know, um, and and this is somebody again who teaches the catechism. I think it was said in the context of, of I don't really te- I don't really believe this thing that the catechism says. Hmm. We reject that. We believe what the catechism teaches, and yeah. and and I get the sense in the Abide Project group, it's really people who are are, are sold on on these doctrines. Hmm. And here's how it connects to this conversation. The Abide Project is referred to as fundamentalists, yeah, um, by people who sign their name to these documents: the Canons of Dort, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession. Yeah, they've signed the Covenant of Office. They've Bears. signed to uphold these teachings, but they don't really believe mm-hmm. many of the things in these um, in these documents. For example, hearing of of pastors who would serve communion to to anyone in a hospital mm-hmm. in their chaplaincy work. That is Christian ex- or non-Christian. Christian they or non-Christian, Muslim, New Age, whatever, Buddhist, just yeah. bring the communion in and it's a beautiful experience of mm-hmm. fellowship for people. Jesus unlimited. Right. That is expressly against the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism. Yeah. And so there are there are people who who live in that sort of Con- ministry context and do ministry in that kind of way who refer to Abide Project folks as fundamentalists. Um, you know, we heard a story of a pastor who read the communion preparatory form before communion was served and was called by somebody in his own church a fundamentalist. Yeah, that just really goes to show this Overton window thing. Exactly. What, how the conversation has been shifted so far away from the basics of what the scriptures teach and our what the history, confessions teach. Our identity is now Be highly nice. suspect. That doesn't sound very nice to read the preparatory form and to say that some ought not come to the table. Mm-hmm. But that's what we believe in the Christian Reformed Church. Um, that's again it, why I think that there's 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 two religions at work here. Yeah, that's really stark, and I don't I don't like to say that, but I can't help but see that being the, the case when there's one religion that is that finds the historic identity and beliefs of of the the former religion you might say to be toxic and yep. unhelpful that's how you know there's there's two severely different systems of understanding who god is what god has done what he is doing what he will do uh, yep. it's it's in my mind it's there's not much reconciliation that can happen between these two and that's stark and maybe doomsday-ish but there's going to be there's going to be some difficulties ahead in the life of the crc until stands are made and until convictions are yeah are are made and we stand by them convictions that's that's what we want to talk about and that's that's my final word for this podcast is Hmm. um how is the conversation controlled in the crc we hope it moves in a direction of biblical fidelity, of reformed 
um, uh, reform theology, but but really a, a love for the glory of God, a love for the cross, for the work of Christ, yeah. for the Word of God, um, for the power of God in the world shown to believers and and shown by common grace to unbelievers as well. Just this this rich theology and truth that we have to communicate and to stand on it, to be unashamed of it. Um, not to be afraid to say that, that we're going to say some things in the Christian Reformed Church that are going to upset some people, and, mm-hmm. and that's just what the Word of God does sometimes. Yeah, um, We have Absolutely. to do that in our ministry. You do that in youth ministry and in your preaching. I do that in my preaching mm-hmm. and in a council room occasionally um, mm-hmm. to say, hold up, hold up. Here's what God's word says, not that we have elders who are trying to do crazy things, but but sometimes it requires a little bit of instruction in uh, God's word is pretty clear in how we need to approach this, guys. Mm-hmm. And so so let's go this direction. Um, just to have that conviction, um, not only at a congregational level, but I hope it increases at a denominational level. So the yeah. podcasts our denomination is producing are, unapologetically standing on the word of God, quote the word of God, quote Burkhoff and Bavink mm-hmm. and Kuiper and Calvin and Edwards and Spurgeon and great reformed teachers who mm-hmm. who have held, who have passed down a great, great doctrines to us, Augustine, Aquinas, all these uh, luminaries of the past. And they're going to say some things that are going to be upsetting sometimes. Yeah. And we're going to have to be okay with that even yeah. Um, even if it means the institution um, has to look a little bit different as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot to think about. And as Synod 2023 is around the corner, there's a lot to pray about as well. Uh, this has been, I think, a helpful conversation. I hope it's been helpful for, for those of you who are listening. Uh, and that it's something that is a blessing as we consider the future of our life together in the denomination yeah. as the Christian Reformed Church. And so again, as we've said, uh, we've we've been hearing from many of you over the past couple of weeks, so we really appreciate that. If you have any questions or would like to discuss things further, Mark and I have our emails up on our church's website. You can email us. Uh, anytime you want, we yep. are real people. We will respond to you. Yeah, uh, and so, yeah, we we would encourage further conversation uh, about not only this but any subject that you may want to discuss. After this one, it might not all be praise. We'll, <laughs> we'll say that, and that's okay. Yeah, that that is okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that personally. Yeah. Uh, so unless you have anything else to say, Mark, I think we can. Uh, yeah. Wrap it up. We'll sign <laughs> off. Uh, thank you for listening, everyone, and yeah, have a great absolutely. week. All right. Grace and peace, you guys.